Good morning. Good to see you. Merry Christmas. Welcome to River West Church. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to give you a couple quick things to consider this week related to Christmas Eve. As, as you know by now, our, our Christmas Eve service is a digital service that will go live on YouTube premiere at 2 p.m. on Thursday, Christmas Eve. I want to tell you a couple things just to consider this week. It's, it's really hard to express how much work has gone into making this service happen from Brenton's production team, Colin's worship team, Pastor Adam's message that, that he's prepared to give to us um, on, on, um, through that service. And so I just want you to know a lot of work has gone into it and the least you could do is watch it. Okay. How about that? So, um, no, we really, we're really excited about this service. We, we view it as an opportunity to, to reach our community and some, some significant ways. So I do want to tell you at riverwest.org, you can find a a digital invite that you could send to friends and family so that they could enjoy it in their homes as well. So certainly want to encourage you to do that. It will be a candlelight service. And so we have, you probably have candles, but so do we, we have them for you if you would like them. So at both exits today, right here, and then right there, uh, going as you go through those doors, uh, you can get candles for the service and light them at the end. It's going to be amazing. For those of you folks, are at home right now, first I want to say hi, but also to you that are not here with us right now. Uh, at 9 o'clock, from 9 to 11 on Christmas Eve, we are going to have a drive-through candle pickup thing here in the parking lot where you can pick up candles so that you can light a candle uh, at the end of our service, our worship service on Christmas Eve. So, you know, Merry Christmas. It's going to be a great week. Okay, so open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 15 today. Turn your Bibles there. This morning, we are going to talk about the kingdom of God. And even more specifically, we're going to talk about the people of the kingdom of God. We've been using this definition of the kingdom recently, and and I like it. Christopher brought it to us, and I like Christopher, so I like this definition. The reign and rule of God over his people that causes all things to flourish. So today, what I want to get after is, is who are the people that flourish in the kingdom of God? Who are God's people? We're going to discover that together today. So this is a shameless plug, truly a not so humble brag. This last week, I graduated from seminary. Okay. Yeah. Yep. You did exactly what I hoped you would. Thank you. Through a lot of hard work, I was able to squeeze in a four-year degree in just under 11 years, which that's actually an accomplishment. I don't know that I just didn't want to leave. So uh, my wife managed to finish her master's degree in under five years while birthing three children, doing, yes, doing basically everything around our house and being awesome and beautiful. And she and I were talking the other day and I was like, you know, a lot of people go to grad school for 10 years and she goes, yeah they're called doctors and you're not one of them. So it is both a proud moment and a humbling moment to tell you that I am finally finished. I was at Western Seminary for so long, this really happened. I got an email from someone in the registrar office that a class that I took is so, it was so long ago that it doesn't count anymore. And I was like, so it counted when I paid you money and did all the work for it, but apparently now it doesn't count. And, and, I, and I literally said, I said, I said, I don't think you understand the wrath 
of my wife and children that will rain down on this institution if you do not let me out of here. We worked it out. It's great. I'm graduated and uh, very exciting. You know, and it, it is, it's an exciting moment. The, uh, in, in our pastoral team, we do really value education, um, learning, theological growth, uh, knowing God and his word and his ways. It's, it's, it's incredibly important to us. And, and I think even a necessary endeavor for, for pastors is to get that degree. But this last two weeks or so, I've been reflecting on, on the kingdom of God. And I've been considering this that as, as Luke presents us the kingdom of God, he is, he is constantly telling us who. Not necessarily like what the kingdom is like, but who. Like who gets invited to the party? Who gets a seat at the proverbial table? Who flourishes in this kingdom that has come and is coming in Jesus. And the truth is, is it's not often the people that you would most expect it to be. Really, it's rare to see someone with religious like accolades and degrees and, and Jesus props them up and they're like, that's a kingdom person. It's really rare that that actually happens. In fact, last week we looked at a parable um, that Jesus gave us that contrasted two people. One of them, a tax collector who was a traitor, who was despised in this culture, was hated by his fellow Jews, and a Pharisee, one who would have had religious accolades and prestige and honor in the culture. And legitimately, this person would have had at least a master's degree, if not a doctorate degree in the Hebrew Bible. Jesus holds up these two characters and he says, one of them left the temple that day justified. And it was the overt sinner. It was the outcast. It was the one who knew that righteousness would have to come from outside of him for him to be in right relationship with God. And Luke constantly is telling us that the least likely, or to use his language, the least of these, they are the kingdom people. They're the ones that are invited in. They are the ones who flourish in my kingdom. And so, you know, two weeks ago, it was a widow. A widow was one who had, had, didn't have prestige in the culture. Jesus says, they're in. They're honored in my kingdom. Last week, a tax collector. And this week, Jesus brings us to another group of people that would not have been considered to be the most likely kingdom people. And we are introduced to them in Luke 18, verses 15 to 17. Read with me. Now they were bringing even infants to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Babies. That's, that, those are the kingdom people this week. Those are the least of these. And truly, it's hard, it's hard for, I think it's hard for us to relate to this passage. We can kind of grab a hold of the idea that a traitor in society would be considered the least of these, but who doesn't love a baby? Come on, like, I am a huge baby fan, and I always have been. Um, I, right now on my fridge is a picture of June B. Berry. Shout out Jason and Shannon, good friends of mine. June B. Berry's photo is on 
my fridge in the most prestigious place possible. We honor her in our house. I, we got this picture of her a couple, a couple months ago, kind of celebrating her birth. It is entirely possible that she is the cutest baby of all time. Sorry, Johnson babies, if you're watching, you're not. But, but uh, June Berry, so wonderful. I haven't even met her and I love her. And we love, we love babies. We, we celebrate them in our culture, gender reveals, all sorts of different ways that we prop up babies and, and love them. And we should, it's wonderful. But I think it's because of that reality that this passage is, is in some ways hard for us to grasp a hold of because there was a totally different way of looking at infant babies in the first century. There were no gender reveals. Babies were considered to be the least of these and in some ways, in, in really tragic ways, because infant mortality rate was just devastatingly high in this time. And so there was far less sentimentality around babies. That, and it's hard for us to relate to that. But, but in, the, in, in this culture and in this time, they were, babies were born in, in, into uncertainty and fear. Survival rate just in, 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 in general was much lower in that time. And I don't want to paint a picture that, that young parents were not excited about having kids. We, they certainly were, but there was so much fear and uncertainty around pregnancy and, and birth and even infancy. Certainly, I know I have some friends who have gone through pregnancy in this COVID season. And even right now in our time, there's a unique level of uncertainty and of fear what ifs, changed plans surrounding pregnancy. And then there's Jesus in our passage and in this moment. And he's sitting there and the closest visual that I can think of, and don't judge me for thinking this, but the closest visual I can think of is like mall Santa. And Jesus is sitting there and they're bringing these babies to him. And they're not bringing them to him for a photo op, you know, for her Christmas card or something like that. They're bringing him they're bringing these babies to Jesus for blessing and protection. Now, it's common in this day for, for young parents to bring their, their infants to a local rabbi for, for blessing, because this is a person who was, was deemed to be connected to God, somebody who had insight into the ways of God and into the scriptures. And so they would bring babies to, to rabbis for blessing, but also in a time of such uncertainty, there was something unique about Jesus. People knew that he was a great teacher, but there were stories circulating around, this, around the fact that he had actually healed people. And so these parents are bringing their children to Jesus. Will you bless my child? Will you protect them? Will you heal them? And Jesus has no problem with this. It seems actually that he prefers this. And that brings us to the first thing that we have to see in this passage to understand what's happening just in these few short verses. The, the first point that I want to bring to you is that the kingdom of God has come to children. Children are this week's version of the least of these. And they're not the models for the most important or the most useful or the most successful, but Jesus has said the kingdom of God actually belongs to them. And I think it'd be good for us to consider what are, what are some of the traits of, of 
of infant babies. Now, these aren't like, like developed traits. This isn't like learned virtues. These are just, what are the realities of an infant baby? I've had three, so I think I could speak a little bit to this. The first is humility. Now, this isn't like the, the sort of like humility that comes through deep reflection of the gospel and a life of spiritual formation into Jesus. This is just the, the reality that, that infants are born into humble estate. They don't own anything they accomplish very little. I remember like, I remember all my kids, like the moment they giggled, we were like, I can't believe this happened. You know, it was like, this is the greatest moment ever. And it's like, is that really a, that great of an accomplishment? You know, the, so, so infants, when we look to them, and I think this is part of why Jesus points to them is, is, is they're, they're, they're humble being. So humility. The second thing is, is the word dependence. There is no one more dependent than a young baby. And for literally everything, they don't get things for themselves. They don't feed themselves. They don't change themselves. They don't pick up after themselves. They don't, they don't contribute. They don't do chores. They do not go places. You take them places. Even in this story, it's actually the parents who have, have taken these children and brought them to Jesus. Their existence is lived in total reliance. And Jesus, I do believe is saying, I want you to look to them. Who gets into the kingdom? The dependent ones. The third word is trusting. You know, I I think that the babies exhibit the most amazing level of trust. They feel no shame, no guilt in simply crying out. They don't always know how to express, obviously, what, what they want other than to cry out for it. Is just an act of trust. Now, we don't have time to get into this too much, but you'll notice when you read the Gospels, and when Jesus talks about prayer, he constantly talks about kids as a model for learning how to pray. And even, even babies, just because they cry out in trust. If I cry out, my needs will be supplied. I'll be provided for. I just, I just need to cry out. And Jesus is saying, These are the kingdom people, humble, dependent, and trusting. But also in this culture, the least of these. Jesus says the kingdom of God has come to them. Jesus, again, he's always talking about kids, always talking about babies. This story that we read today is in all of the synoptic gospels in Matthew and Mark and Luke. They all tell this story. And Jesus is using kids, I think, as just a model for entryway in life in the kingdom. He does it in other ways as well. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 18. Just listen to this story. A question is posed. Who is the greatest in the kingdom? And it says, at the time, the disciples came to Jesus. And this is the question they were asking. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child. It's the same word for infant. This could have been just a young baby. Calling to him a child, Jesus put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What is the way towards greatness? This is the question that we're often asking as it relates to the kingdom that Jesus is bringing. Jesus says it's humility. Those who know they're spiritually impoverished. 
The way into the kingdom of heaven is, is dependence. When we view our, our life in Christ as one of total dependence on Jesus. When we move from self-reliance to, and I love what the late Brennan Manning calls, ruthless trust. That's how we get in. Jesus is inviting these children because they display these qualities in their life. Jesus is always talking about children. I think there's another reason why Jesus is always talking about children and, and even babies. This leads us to our second point. The first point is that the kingdom of God has come to children. But the second thing I want to tell you today, and this is a great truth throughout all the scriptures, is that the kingdom of God has also come through a child. The kingdom of God has come to the least of these, but it has also come through the least of these. And I think that's why Jesus is always propping up children. Because in his incarnation, Jesus, the eternal son of God, trades glory for humility. Trades ultimate power and privilege for dependence, strength, for weakness. The kingdom of God has come through Jesus, the baby. And this is what's promised to us in the scriptures. There's a beautiful passage that we often read during the Advent season from Isaiah chapter 9. It starts in verses 6. You don't have to turn there. We'll put it on the screen for you. But I want you to just listen to these words and consider this reality. It says this, For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amazing. Here is the long awaited king prophesied in the Hebrew scriptures. It was said of him that the government would be on his shoulder, that his government, unlike the governments of this earth, will continue to grow on into eternity. It literally has no end. And it describes the, the kingdom that this king will bring as one that is full of justice and righteousness and peace. But the king does not enter our world by crushing the counterfeit kingdoms of our world. He enters our world in humility, dependence, and trust as the least of these. And I believe that that is the story that Luke wants to bring us into. Those realities that we can lay a hold of, that we can take on, especially in this next week as we, as we move towards Christmas. The kingdom of God has come to the least of these. It's come to babies. And really, it's come through the least of these. But I also want to tell you that this passage, and we're going to look at it one more time, because it's just three verses. But this passage actually gives us 
two applications that I think are incredibly important for all of us who follow Jesus to consider. They're right there in the passage. So just bear with me for a few more minutes. We're going to look in on this. And there's two words in our passage. We're going to go through it one more time. And I want to just point out these two words. The words are hinder and receive. So in, in our passage, there's really, there's just a few characters. There's Jesus and he's, he's blessing the children He's kissing babies. It's like the Santa Malmo. I mean, he's just welcoming them. He's like, bring, bring them all to me. And then there are the parents. And the parents are desperately trying to get their kids to Jesus for blessing, for protection. But then there's also another group in this passage, and it's the disciples of Jesus. And Jesus has a word for them. Verse 15, if we can put that back on the screen, verse 15 tells us that when the disciples see what is happening, they respond to it by rebuking these parents. It's a strong word in the Greek. They're, they're rebuking the parents. They're saying, you can't do this right now. Now, we don't know all of their motives. We don't know what's underneath all of this. Perhaps they're thinking, Jesus, there's no time for this. Jesus, you've got more important people to meet with. You've got more important things to do. And so they rebuke these, these parents. And really, more than that, they're actually, the, the word that's used is they're hindering them from coming to Jesus. The disciples are doing this. And here's how Jesus responds. Look at this in verse 16. Jesus says, in, in, uh, in verse 16, he says, Jesus called them to him. That word call is so important in the Greek. It's the word proskaleo. It means to summon. Jesus is calling, I think in this passage, he's calling everyone to listen to him. The families and the disciples themselves. He calls them to him. It's the kind of word that you would use to describe the way Jesus initially called his disciples into this new relationship with them. It's proskaleo. Jesus is telling his disciples the reason these families are here is because I called them. Because I summoned them. I wanted them here. Not only do I welcome this sort of distraction in my life, this is the reason why I came for the least of these. And there's a great irony in this passage is because in many of the passages of the Gospels, the ones who are hindering are the Pharisees or the rich or the prestigious. But here it's disciples of Jesus who, when Jesus encounters the least of these, they say, no, not you, not now. And I believe that there are many roles of the disciple of Jesus back then, but certainly right now. And I believe that one of the primary roles of any disciple of Jesus is to make sure the door is wide open for any to come in. And to receive the call of Jesus in their life. But here, these disciples slam the door. And they're hindering people from coming to Jesus. And Jesus responds and says, no, I called them. In the Gospel of Mark, Mark tells this story. He describes Jesus as indignant. He's fired up. He's angry. This is not what I've called my disciples to do. And here they are hindering others from receiving the good news about me. I certainly don't want to impose, you know, my own season of life or life stage on any of you, but, but it's hard to not read this as a dad. And, 
you know, my, my greatest fear, the reason I meet with my mentor every couple of weeks, I feel like the thing that we talk about the most is this fear in me that I would hinder my own children from knowing the love of God and seeing it. My fear is that my, my life or my voice or my actions or my anxious presence would be a hindrance to them receiving the call of Jesus on their life. I don't want to hinder anyone from seeing that. Ask any of us pastors, that's one of our great fears, is that our life would be a hindrance to people knowing that, that Jesus is, is real and his ways are true and right. And I actually think that Jesus wants his disciples to carry that question. Where in my life, where in my life am I hindering? What parts of my life are not submitted to the lordship of Jesus, to his kingdom, to his goodness, his rule and reign? What are the parts of me that are, that are hindering? It's a sobering reality, but I think it's, it's good for us to consider that. And I wonder, I'll get real practical. I wonder how our lives would look if before we spoke, before we sent a text message, before we responded to that email of criticism, or before we reposted that or retweeted that, we asked a simple question is, does this hinder people from seeing the goodness of King Jesus? Does this, does this slam the door shut when my job is in fact to ensure that the door is wide open? I wonder what Christmas would look like. I, I know Christmas is, is certainly different for all of us this year. I know some have been quarantining for weeks so that they could have a grandparent or or a family member in their, in their home. And um, I certainly know it will be smaller, but I, but I just wonder what, what Christmas Eve or Christmas morning would be like if we just asked that question. Am I hindering people with my attitude, with my words, with my actions? It's actually a good thing to ask, and we ought to. So word number one is hinder, but we don't, we don't end there. The sermon's not over. The second word is the word receive. And I will argue that is one of the most important words in the whole Bible. Receive. Jesus says this in verse 17 as we close. He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. How do we receive the kingdom? Humility. Dependence and trust with an honest assessment that there are areas of my life that let's just let's be honest that are that are a hindrance to others we could even use the word the bible uses for it sin the follower of jesus looks at their life and says i i actually have to receive this good news every day moment by moment. So how do we do that? How do we grow in that? I want to invite you into maybe a different way to pray in your life. A way to pray that acknowledges these realities of, of our own hindrance and our need to receive. It's, 
It's called the prayer of examine. It's a way that Christians have prayed for hundreds of years, a way that, that, that Christians have often ended their day by praying these words, by praying these themes. We can put them on the screen here. Prayer of examine has, has five themes that you pray through. I've, been, I've begun to do this. I have to admit this isn't fully integrated yet, but this is something I've begun to do in, in my life in prayer. The prayer of examine begins by giving thanks to the God who has given us all that we have. And then it moves in this prayer to invite the Holy Spirit into the moment of prayer and reflection, to the moment of examination, the moment of pause. And as we reflect on our day, we would, we would just invite the Holy Spirit into that moment. And then it moves towards an honest review of failures. Not if, but who. Who have I hindered today? And maybe even, why did I do that? It moves from that kind of review, that honest assessment that the Holy Spirit does in the way that only the Holy Spirit can do. It moves from that review to the receiving of forgiveness, which is the gospel of Jesus. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit to amplify that reality. As we pray, we receive the forgiveness of Jesus. And finally, to look ahead. So imagine at the end of your day, you've, you've done this. You've given thanks. You've invited the Holy Spirit into your prayer. You've reviewed failures. You have received forgiveness. But then you look ahead with the deep awareness that God is making all things new. And even us. And even our world. And so this morning, for you who are in here and for you in your homes, I want to invite you, as we close, I invite you to close your eyes. And we'll practice this prayer, which I think really helps us to apply this, this passage to our lives, to apply the realities that we, that we hinder and we're called to receive. So let's pray this together. Father, we give thanks to you right now. I thank you, God, for this, these moments, these minutes we share together. Less than ideal, Lord, to be socially distant. To see our friends, but but they're behind a mask. And, but we give thanks, Lord, that here we are together. And even if we're not gathered in this room, we are, we are gathered together and united together in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And now, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this moment of reflection. We don't want our inner voice of shame to, to, to lead us into this moment. We, we, we want your spirit to lead us. Help us as we reflect on this day. 
or this weekend that's coming to an end. Spirit of God, we ask you to stir up in us what you want us to see. I think of the psalmist who, who says, if there's any wicked way in me, reveal it, shine light on it. So God, we, we take this moment, perhaps for some of us, you're bringing to mind a person, maybe someone we love dearly, who we spoke to with anger or dismissal. Perhaps there's a, even a, a people group that we've considered not worthy of, of your call, Lord. We repent. Maybe there's an attitude that we've carried that you, Holy Spirit, want to convict us of, Lord, so that you can bring it into truth, Lord and into love. So we welcome that right now. We repent, Lord. Search our hearts, we pray. And Jesus, we thank you that you do not leave us in our failures. So we receive your forgiveness. We receive your healing touch. Like those newborn babies that were brought to you in this story so long ago, we, we receive your healing touch in our lives. We know that the cross of Christ is not abstract thinking. We recognize that it was, in fact, our sin that held you there, but it couldn't keep you there. So we thank you, God, for your forgiveness, your pardon, your acceptance, your reconciliation. We thank you, God, that in Christ we are free. And so out of that, we look ahead, Lord. Even right now, we look ahead. You really are making all things new. Despite what we heard on the news, despite what our our inner voices tell us of, of hopelessness, Lord. We, we agree with your reality, Lord, that you're making all things new. Even us, even this community, and even your world. And so we thank you. Amen.